Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Welcome to AACS Today. This is episode number four. AACS Today is the podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. I'm Matt Tiscus, Regional Director for the American Association of Christian Schools, and we want to welcome you to this podcast. And with me on the podcast today is, again, the AACS Legislative Director, Jameson Coppola. Jameson, welcome back to the podcast for another exciting discussion uh, about a piece of legislation that has just been passed. How are you doing today, Jameson? I am well, Matt. Uh, it is springtime in Virginia, and uh, I was telling somebody recently how much I'm enjoying it. And I'm enjoying even uh, kind of the shelter in place makes me think that maybe someday I'll just go homestead somewhere and, and uh, you know, make this part of my normal existence. Yeah, there you go. Jameson is going off the grid. You heard it here first on <laughs> AACS Today. Well, it's it's been a whirlwind uh, of a weekend with a new piece of legislation, the CARES Act. And so we wanted to bring um, the most current information that we have to you about the CARES Act that we can share. And again, um, regulations are being written. There's a lot of things still in flux, but we want to give some information that we have that is most up to date. And so there's a lot of things that we need to understand or try to understand, Jameson, uh, about uh, the CARES Act. So um, let's kind of dive in and uh, see what up-to-date information that we can give our schools because it's really it's really difficult to wrap your brain around what's happening because things are happening with such lightning fast speed. Are they not Jameson? Yeah, that's very true. Um, You know, you've heard the phrase, there are a lot of moving parts and my goodness, uh, somebody said the other day, last week feels like last year. And I think that's because so much is happening um, on, on the federal level here related to legislation. When we were with you last, we talked about phase two of the COVID response. Um, it was a paid sick leave and FMLA uh, payroll tax reimbursement program. Uh, our materials are on the website. But today we want to talk to you about the recently passed phase three. And as you said, Matt, regulations are being written. I think uh, regulations for this bill are due by April 11th. And so it's fast and furious right now trying to get reliable, actionable information out now that this bill has been passed. Yeah, so the CARES Act is providing uh, for emergency funding for uh, small businesses. And we really want to share today what we've come up with are four kind of four key pieces that we want to bring to you, our schools today. So uh, let, let's get into that, and let's first of all talk about the SBA loan, which is a forgivable loan as we understand it, uh, Jameson. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, there are four things that we are bringing today. Now, there may be more as we move along. Um, of course, the bill is uh, 883 pages long, I think, is the last count I saw, um, and that's without technical corrections. So Uh, We'll see how it continues to develop, but there are four things we think right off the bat we wanted to get to our members so that they could make some decisions about how they might uh, choose to 
participate if these things are a help to their ministries. And the first of those, Matt, you said was a small business administration uh, loan forgiveness program. Um, one of the big concerns that our ministries have whenever we talk about funding from the government is what obligations will I have related to if I take this spending? And again, in our business, I think we mentioned this last uh, podcast, but uh, the, the phrase that we are always seeking to avoid is becoming recipients of federal financial aid or FFA for short. And right now, our analysis and the analysis of our friends and allies in the educational and religious liberty world is that since this is the forgiveness uh, loan program that's administered through local lenders, the forgiveness um, is actually happening from the federal government to the lender, not directly to the school. And that's really important. So if you're going to choose to contact your local lender, and that's what we would encourage you to do, and start talking to them about getting in line for this loan, we believe, and we're working hard continually with the Small Business Administration on regulations being written to make sure that this will not make your ministry a recipient of federal funding. Yeah, and that's and that's so so very important because there are a number of implications that come along with those who are recipients of federal federal funds. Um, that's so important, and I think Jameson, when we discussed this earlier, you made kind of a parallel uh, to a school choice discussion that I thought was kind of helpful to under understand that. So, uh, could you just kind of share that parallel with us here to maybe help our schools understand that? Yeah, I think a good analogy might come out of the school choice world. You know, in school choice, um, there's good precedent in case law that says if the the state money or the government money is delivered to a family, to a parent, and that parent chooses to send their child to a a private school with that um, funding, the school then is not receiving the money from the government. The school is receiving the money from the parent, the parent receiving the money from the government. I think the Small Business Administration loan program is going to operate in a similar way, that you'll borrow the money from the local lender to cover payroll. It's very specific. Payroll, I think mortgage and utility expenses are in there. But this primary purpose is that you keep people employed with this loan. And if you meet the provisions of the loan, I think um, in a year it becomes a forgivable loan. There's all sorts of, you know, it's interest deferred for the first uh, period of time. Uh, I think it might be interest and payment deferred for the first period of time. But the essential point is when that loan is forgiven, the lender will forgive the loan to you if you've met the provisions of the loan. And then the lender gets reimbursed through these federal funds, not directly the ministry. Yeah, so it would be important for our schools who are uh, interested in participating in this, as you stated a little while ago, go ahead and reach out to your lender, financial institution now and get that get that process started if you're if you're interested in this, correct? That's what we would recommend, at least to to get familiar with the program. And then make sure your lender's familiar with you and the fact that you're keeping your desires to keep people employed. You think you qualify um, as a nonprofit and you, know, you want to move forward. I think that would be a, a really important action item for today. Yeah. And, and if the ministry were to get in the process and find 
eh, I'm not sure this is really for us, they would still have an opportunity to, in essence, change their mind and not participate in the program as, as we understand the regulations. Would that be a correct way to say that? Yeah, I think there's probably going to be a lot of questions to be answered. My, my recommendation is don't sign anything permanently until you know. Um, but I think that probably there's a, a breakoff point where you wouldn't receive the actual loan um, or, or commit to it um, where you could um, still um, choose not to participate. But But start making those initial steps now, and we're continuing to work to make sure that um, schools are not recipients of federal funds, and then also that the Department of Labor, when they write regulations, that they are mindful of the type and scope of nonprofits that AACS represents so that nothing objectionable will come down in the regulations as well. Yeah, that's so important. Our office is involved in speaking into these conversations and that is uh, that's why what the work that you all are doing there is is so key and so important. So uh, thanks for being involved in that, and uh, I know that uh, will keep us updated. Let's move on. I think we I think we uh, were able to get that to our second point, which has to do with uh, unemployment insurance reimbursement. What what are the couple takeaways we want from that, Jameson? Yeah, as you know, Matt, um, uh, unemployment insurance is administered by states. And there are programs where employee employers pay into a, a, a trust fund of sorts, I think is how I would characterize it. And that trust fund then pays employees who are unemployed if uh, uh, an employer has to uh, perform layoffs. So this program, uh, but, but many states... <clears throat> Uh, in some states, ministries are, are they have their own, they're self-insured for the purpose of unemployment insurance. Uh, I think in some states, uh, religious entities or nonprofits at least do not participate in the un- uh, uh, unemployment insurance programs. Right. But what this provision does in the CARES Act is those um, nonprofit and religious employers that reimburse state programs um, for whatever level of participation they have, this will provide a 50% benefit, 50% reimbursement for ministries that have to pay out uh, unemployment. And so, again, we're encouraging ministries to contact your state Department of Labor and specifically the Unemployment Insurance Office to make connection with them, to open up lines of communication, and then to make sure that you are. A, um, um, on their email list, on their contact list, because they will be the best source of information for how this provision, specifically in the CARE Act, is going to impact our ministry as it relates to, again, trying to help people who will be unemployed as a result of this and then to help keep businesses and ministries in operation um, um, during this time of economic hardship. Yeah, there could literally be 50 different ways that the states implement this, depending on obviously what state our ministries are in. So what you just said, Jameson, is key. We've got to connect in with, with the State Department of Labor and the Unemployment Division to, to find out the information that we need from them uh, directly, because it literally could be different state by state. So we really need to underscore underscore that point for our ministries. Um, yeah, like many things in this crisis, this is a federal, uh, federally funded 
benefit, but it's going to be state administrated. And so um, it's important for ministries to get in touch with the people in their states that will be administrating these programs. Okay. Well, let's move on to a third, a, a third takeaway um, just here on the CARES Act, on this phase three piece of legislation. And that has to do with an above the line charitable donation for taxes. So tell us about that, Jameson. Yeah, one of the things we advocated for um, was um, an expansion of the charitable deduction. As you know, in President Trump's tax reform package in 2017, um, one of the provisions increased the standard deduction from, uh, I don't remember what it was previously, but um, it had the effect of of increasing the standard deduction to 12000 for an individual, 24000 for a married filing jointly couple. And what it did is it reduced the number of taxpayers that itemize. Well, this has already had a big impact in charitable giving because it's, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind type things. Right. Where uh, if you don't itemize anymore because you're taking the larger standard deduction, you may not consider the tax implications of your charitable donations. What this provision does is it allows an above the line, as you said, deduction of $300, even for those taxpayers that, that don't itemize, for taxpayers that are just taking the standard deduction. There's also some provisions for um, people, and, and I'm not in this world, so I don't understand it as well, but for, for people that have high assets, they give sometimes in different ways. There's even some provisions that allow for uh, uh, more tax benefits for um, people that have high asset values and how they give. And so I think for most of our people and most of our ministries, letting folks know that they can give charitably um, and receive a deduction now of $300 will be a helpful thing for their ministry, and it might be something that they can encourage those people that um, that support their ministries and want to see their ministries succeed to take part in. And so one of the things we're doing on that, by the way, Matt, is we're working to expand it and hopefully making it permanent. Uh, this has been an, a, a, an important policy objective for several of the um, members of the Senate and the House to make sure that our country continues to honor the civil society that takes care of problems that government can't. And so we think this was a really important provision to be added to the emergency, um, uh, the emergency funding bill. And do you know, Jameson, when that donation uh, can be made? Like, is that something that's immediate since the bill signed into law, or is that something that's coming in the next couple of days or a couple of weeks? Um, do you I have any sense on the date? A, yeah, I think it's a media. Uh, uh, one of the things that we've seen also is the the um, um, later filing dates. I think that this can be filed on your taxes for this uh, coming filing season. And so it's an immediate benefit. Okay, very good. All right, well, the last piece that we wanted to pull out had to do with equitable, equitable services and the importance of connecting with our LEA. So uh, talk about uh, what we need to know, Jameson, about equitable services. Yeah, Matt, as you know, equitable services is a program by which the federal government funds certain categories of um, things like student 
uh, learning who have disabilities. <clears throat> it also helps fund teacher training. And this money, again, is federally funded but locally administered. And so um, all of our schools most likely in probably August, September, or October of last year had some contact with their local education authority to um, tell them if they desired to participate in equitable service programs. And, um, and, and so what this bill does is it expands, I think, to, I think there's 11 categories now of specific things that the federal government will fund to the states in the education world that might be a help to students. It's not going to be direct help to schools per se, but it's going to be direct help to the education world and to students and families. And so um, we're still waiting to see how that will all fall out. We're working with our friends in the Department of Ed to make sure we understand all those implications. But what our action item is, is even if you have, for instance, um, signed that you would not participate in equitable services this year, it's probably good to circle back around to your LEA, your local education authority, and specifically the person that handles equitable services, and then see what um, the expansion um, has done and see if it might be a help to your ministry, to your students. Um, we also, and this will be in the guidance. By the way, maybe I could say this now, Matt. We are preparing another white paper like we did with the phase two bill mm -hmm. to help our ministries work through this. And one of the things that we're going to provide is a link to um, the state ombudsman because these programs before you, you can imagine that if a local public school official is responsible for deciding how private school students can participate in these programs, there might be an element of uh, bias, right? Uh, everyone's jealous for, um, education money, and they, they find good ways to spend it. And so in the last reauthorization, the private school community uh, fought for adding a provision where the state now provides an overseer, an ombudsman, um, sometimes in the, the treasury apparatus of a state, uh, sometimes in the education apparatus. But that person's responsibility is to make sure that the program is being administrated fairly for the private school students and so are in private schools. So my encouragement, again, um, again, an action item would be to reconnect with that local education authority and see how the expanded equitable services might impact students or training or other things that are important during this um, unique time in the educational world. And I think we need to be, you know, let's be willing to be patient with folks because they are – they are learning about these new things, you know, just like we're learning about these things, they're learning too. So I think we need to, you know, exercise a measure of patience, but also, but also be persistent. I can tell you in Texas, I'm a part of a private nonprofit work group and uh, we communicate with the TEA, uh, the Texas Education Agency and the Ombudsman, and they are very open and willing and want to communicate their desire is to follow the law. And it has been a very good experience uh, to participate in this work group uh, with some public school LEAs 
to help us all understand the law better. Now, obviously, this was pre-coronavirus crisis, um, but my sense in Texas is that, you know, folks want to do right by, by our private schools generally, but we need to exercise some patience, but also some persistence if you feel like you're, you're getting some pushback. And that ombudsman uh, position is a great uh, office to look up and to use as a contact if you're running into some difficulty with your LEA. So thanks for bringing that up, Jameson, because that is such a, uh, such a, such a key thing. Well, Jameson, yeah, yeah, go ahead. That, that's really good advice. And I appreciate you drawing that out. Um, you know, we sometimes forget um, kind of those human uh, hospitality and decency things when we're in crisis. Right. And the people that we will be interacting with today are in the midst of this, just like we are. And uh, one of the things that we're, we're being, being focused on is just showing appreciation to the many, many people that are working hard to do the best they can with really bad circumstances. So I appreciate that really uh, timely reminder. Yeah. Let's, Jameson, if we could, let's just take a quick recap on action items that we discussed today. I think that'll be helpful as we kind of wind down episode four here of the podcast. Um, so uh, number one, as I understand it, Jameson, uh, schools should reach out to their lender. That would be action item and get the process rolling to find out the information they need on these SBA loans, correct? Yeah, we think the best avenue for that is through your local lender. They're going to have the the information that you need or or at least will get it to you. Um, and so we would say reach out to them. Matt, I don't know that we mentioned this, but maybe this is a good place to insert this, is that we do think that our initial analysis is that um, even if you're not incorporated as a 501c3, as a nonprofit that is legally operating within your state, um, you should still qualify for these programs. Um, that's not an absolute statement. And again, we, we are, you know, doing our diligent uh, work in order to make these things clarified. Um, some of this may have to be clarified in regulation if it's murky in the law. But I wouldn't let the fact that you're not incorporated as a 501c3 stop you from acting on these action items. Um, so, you know, as you know, state law sometimes... Um, makes a distinction between an incorporated nonprofit and Correct. one that is not incorporated. But we think this law should apply to all nonprofits. That, that's our, our sense of it, at least right now. Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. And kind of dovetail with that is, you know, we're just, we're not necessarily recommending that you do this. We just want to make the information available to you so that you can make the best informed decision possible for your ministry. And that's, uh, you know, that's really important. We just want you to have a, a proper understanding of the law as, as best as possible. So um, that's a, that's our, our first takeaway. Our second one was connect with your state department of labor related to the unemployment insurance reimbursement. Correct, Jameson? Yeah, I think the department of labor and the unemployment insurance program people are your best contact to see how that 50% reimbursement might function for your circumstances. Okay. And then number three, know that there's a $300 charitable donation, above the line donation uh, that folks can make to your ministry. And that is uh, above um, the standard, uh, standard deduction. 
So um, let your folks know about that. And that can be a real help and benefit to your ministry right now. So take advantage of that. Yeah. Charitable giving, I think is, is important. It, it, it helps <clears throat> charitable organizations are one of the ways we practice good citizenship. And so as organizations that are nonprofit doing charitable work, I think it's entirely appropriate to let our folks know that this benefit exists. Uh, my wife and I were talking this week, just as a little aside, and one of the other benefits is a direct reimbursement to, um, to um, American citizens. It, it, it's $1,200 for an individual and $2,400 for married filing corporately. That phases out for high-income people. But we were talking about already, how can we give this money away? God has provided for us very well. And, and where is the need that we could be a blessing to somebody else in? So my guess is there are many other people thinking similarly. It wouldn't hurt to let them know that this will also help them uh, come tax time. Wonderful. And the last kind of takeaway has to do with equitable services. There's been an expansion of categories for which the Department of Education can fund. And it's going to be real important with you to connect with your LEA or reconnect with your LEA um, if you already have a relationship. And this individual uh, in your uh, local school district is going to be an, an important resource for you if you're interested in participating in these equitable services. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, Jameson, uh, thank you for your work. Uh, encourage your team to keep up the good work. And I just want you to know that, that we appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, Hannah and Maureen and I have, uh, you know, considered an honor to serve the schools. And we've been working hard to keep up with these um, changes. Um, we, we, we are preparing a white paper. We hope to have that in email inboxes and on the AACS COVID resource page by the end of the day. So look for that. And we are also um, already um, anticipating what might be happening in phase four. <laughs> so you've probably seen the news that they're already talking about a another package uh, designed to help respond to this uh, national crisis. So we're on the job working with regulators as these regulations are written and um, looking ahead to the potential of a phase four of the COVID response. It's been good to be with you today, Matt. Thanks so much for what you're doing and for the opportunity we have to sit down and talk about these important issues, um, keeping our, our schools informed and letting them have good, reliable information in a timely way so that they can make choices for their ministries. Well, I want to thank you to our listener for listening and just know that we will be sharing more pertinent information with you in a number of formats in the coming days, including our podcast here at AACS Today. So thanks for listening and hope you have a great day.